Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and y'all are awesome, and um, I'm handing it over. Thank you, Kat. So, um, Sarah, did you, we didn't really discuss this, but, um, Kat, just quick question. You said we are starting at the beginning with the title page preface intros to the first and second edition. And I figured that that was like the doctor's opinion and all of that. Did I say that? Yeah. Because I should have said Bill's story. That's what I initially thought, but then I read the, a new text. I'm so sorry. It's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Like I, it's best for you guys. It does not, it's not a big deal if you guys want to do that. Um, but we are supposed to be doing Bill's story and I'm so sorry. Okay. No, Bill's. Yeah. Natalie, do you want to do one through eight or nine through 16? Your, your call. Oh, I can do, um, do you want me to do one through eight? Is, is that good? And then you can do the second half. Yeah. Love okay. it. Cool. I'm sorry. I've like, I keep, like putting up the podcast titles and like going back through old episodes and like making the episodes and then putting them up and like, and then I get confused which ones are which and which ones were on and which ones have been uploaded and which ones have been made. And I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. It's totally okay. And um, just let us know if we can help in any way. I know I'm not really on Facebook, but it's, you know, it's all, it's all good. We know the book. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, y'all ready? Chapter one, Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered. When the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of many of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very, very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer A good soldier is ne'er forgot, whether he died by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader, for had not the men of battery given me special token of appreciation? My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. Okay, so here on this first page, um, Bill is describing how he felt um, in the New England town. He was a young officer. Um, He was starting to go to parties, you know, starting to drink. He discovered liquor and um, he said he he got warnings and prejudices concerning alcohol by, um, you know, obviously by people who knew what alcohol could and, you know, 
would eventually do to him. Um, but these were strong prejudices and warnings concerning liquor specifically. And then he, um, it's, it's funny how you notice how he said, you know, in time we sailed and then I was very lonely again and then turned to alcohol again. And it's funny how he, he just thinks that he's drinking for a reason. Like he's drinking because of his loneliness and then hit, and then you see his ego kind of pop up there at the end where he's like, I would be a leader. I was, I was it. And, you know, alcohol was, um, you know, kind of just an added bonus for him at this, at this time, you know, he, he heard strong warnings. He saw that it's, it's funny how he noticed that he did see that tombstone, um, because back then they drank out of pots and, um, and just the fact that he like was very aware of that tombstone and remembered to put it in his story is really cool. And he says it's an ominous warning, um, which I failed to heed. He failed to do anything about or cut back on his drinking or try to moderate or anything like it, but it's impossible for us alcoholics and we'll see why in a little bit. Okay, I took a night law course and obtained employment as an investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of my files, at one of my finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. Um, okay, so now he's, his ego is really coming up. Um, you know, just all this pride and... Um, in thinking that we're going to be so successful. Like I have that too. And I get that too. And, um, for us alcoholics, we go to extremes, right? <laughs> and, um, so he's seeing, he's saying like, I'm going to prove to the world that I'm important. Like he really, really, really wants to prove to everybody. Like, it's just that self-seeking nature that I have as well. in my own experience of like, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to be able to drink at the same time. Like I will be able to drink and be very, very successful in making all this money. And, um, he still doesn't know, um, hear that he what what alcoholism is all about he still has no no knowledge about it um he's just thinking that he's drinking just to just to drink just because people drink and people do it and he's just one of those millions of people that can and maybe is getting a little bit out of control but um he said though my drinking was not yet continuous it's it disturbed my wife so he's seeing that it's starting to disturb his relationships around him and um, he would still her forebodings, which is just worrying. Um, but, you know, talking about the, the most 
the most majestic constructions of thought. Like he's thinking that it helps him like get his ideas out. He's thinking that it helps him like with his projects and that he's thinking very clearly when he's drinking, which I can totally relate to because I thought I was like a really good writer when I was drinking. <laughs> and um, it's just not true. There's no clarity there. Um, okay. So by the time I completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of, of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. That just goes to show that like our perception of people, places, things, circumstances, money, like are very limited by our own minds. Um, and I love the, uh, the sentence where he says, I commenced to forge the weapon, which just means I began to drink a lot more that would ruin my life. I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons, um, ruin his life only for temporarily right but the suffering that he endured like he's saying i i began to drink more and more and more um we gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle the sidecar stuffed with tent blankets a change of clothes and three huge volumes of a financial reference service our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed perhaps they were right i had had some success at speculation so we had a little money but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole Eastern United States in a year. At the, sec at the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expensive count. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. Okay. So... You know, here he is, it's funny how he said like, um, potential alcoholic that I was, you know, I failed my law courses. He was trying different things, right? He, he knew he really, really wanted to be a leader. He knew he wanted to be very successful. He knew he wanted to be he, like, he was determined. I was going to be great. I was going to be important. Like this was it. I was on like, it's kind of like, he's at a war with himself a little bit which we all go through. Right. And, um, and, oh, and then late, but at the same time, he's not thinking like he, he's saying like, Oh, but the law was not for me. Like he's making up these like rationalizations and justifications and excuses in his mind that he is like making the decision to like get out of law when really it's, it's as if he had no choice, like he failed. <laughs> so, um, 
And then it says that they gave up their positions. So this is him and his wife giving up their positions and, you know, going off on a motorcycle, um, you know, kind of escaping in a way, right. Running away. And he's thinking that maybe, you know, this is, this is one of the things that a lot of us try, like, um, moving to, um, to stop drinking or moving to like slow down on drinking, like the geographic change that it um, comments on, on page, uh, I believe it's like around 31. And so, yeah, so off they roared on a motorcycle and um, he's, I think it's very interesting that he said that was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day, which makes me believe all the many, much of the work after that during his alcoholism was very dishonest, whether he was stealing, whether he was cheating his way into the system and to getting more and more and more money. Um, I think that's very interesting because he's, he realizes in the beginning that he started to get very, very dishonest. That's cool. I just saw that. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. Okay, so these are all things that we think as people and as human beings are very, very good things, right? Um, he's making a ton of friends. He's making a ton of money. The money is really rolling in for him. And, um, and he's saying, my own judgment and ideas are making all of this happen. So again, like it just goes to show like the delusion that we may be in about all this money and success is like because of us like fighting and trying. And that's like, that's, that'll stop me from thinking I have any kind of problem. Like that will be boost my ego so big to the point where I'm like, yeah, I may have like a problem with drinking, but like. I can obviously do a lot of things, right? I can obviously keep my house and keep my job and keep, you know, my money and have the money rolling in. Like I'm, you know, I'm in control and have enough power to be able to have all this happen to me. And it's just, it's, it's funny because it like all comes down on him. Okay. Right. Just like a lot of us. I mean, me too. Um, okay. So my drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity, for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness. Kept me out of, kept me out of those scrapes. Scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud while I started to to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter Hagen. Walter, I began to be jittery in the morning. I love how he's like, oh, yeah, 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 but it's, <laughs> his ego is just so big right here. Okay, so we can see how, how it's starting to kind of affect his, um, the people around him, his relationships, right? Because he's like, 
okay, yeah, I lost a lot of friends. I became a lone wolf. He's starting to isolate. Um, you know, we start to do that when our drinking assumes a lot more serious proportions. And then it says there were many unhappy scenes. I can only imagine because I've had so many unhappy scenes in my homes with my significant other. Like it's just, it gets bad. Right. And, um, and it, sumptuous is luxurious. So he's fighting with his wife. He's losing all of his friends. You know, he's thinking he can take Walt overtake Walter Hagen. And then he's like, Oh, but then I got too drunk. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to roam around the exclusive course, which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan, of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. Okay, so his ego's still in there because he's trying really hard to just be like a one of those classy, elegant, rich, well-to-do folks. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Okay, so he's also showing off. Like, he's very, very, very self-seeking in that, like, I want to show everybody, which is self-seeking, but I want to show everybody how much money I have. I'm going to act like a fool doing this. Okay, abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of the inferno, I wobbled from the hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape, which bore the inscription XYZ 32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to their death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Okay. So he's not in the, he's not in the state where he's um, debating suicide. He's like, I know it's going to fix this. I'm going to turn to alcohol. Alcohol is my solution to everything. Alcohol numbs me. It fixes everything. It's, it's my solution to life. I'm not going to kill myself. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. So alcohol is still working for him at this point. He's getting, he's getting determined again. He's drinking and he's getting ideas again. He's get he's thinking that, um, you know, I'm determined to be successful still. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our custom style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time we stayed broke. Okay, so he's continuing to get fired from jobs. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I would just have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. Five years, he hardly drew a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger on it, broke a at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Okay, so for five years, liquor, he needed liquor to live, he felt, right? Seemingly hopeless, state of mind and body, powerlessness. It became a necessity for him. 
bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. So he's starting to get those tremens, those tremors in the morning and he needs alcohol. Like it's um, medically not advised like to all of a sudden abruptly stop drinking because of those tremors. Like it's very, very um, deadly. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my life's hope. And I'm sure renewed his hope too, because those periods of sobriety were like, see, we can stop. I can stop. I can stop. Yeah, I had tremors last week, but like I'm stopped now. That's what matters. I still have some sort of control, which means I still have some sort of power. That's how I think in my head when it comes to alcohol. And then it says, gradually things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious vendor, and that chance vanished. Okay, so he's getting a promising business opportunity again and then ruining it from his alcoholism. I woke up. This, this had to be stopped. He's realizing. He's realizing. I saw I could not t- take so much as one drink. I thought I was through forever. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. I think this is the time where he signed the Bible, promising her he would not drink anymore. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? So he's starting to think to himself, oh my God, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this to my family? Why am I doing this to my life? Am I I crazy, right? I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. So he's still telling himself, I'm going to control it next time. I'm going to control it next time. Next time's going to be different. That's what our heads do. But I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are, unfor- are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Yes. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely, da- scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. 
Should I kill myself? So this is where he's debating. He's debating on leaving, on leaving here. And then he's saying, no, no, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jin would fix that. Alcohol is his oxygen at this point. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. He's still trying to escape his alcoholism, but it's within him wherever he goes. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking. And I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics under the so-called belladonna treatment. My brain cleared. I believe that's volume and lithium, the belladonna treatment. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that Though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. So he got all of this um, self-knowledge, right? He received all this information from the doctor saying that um, he is bodily and mentally sick. And he's like, okay, great. This is the answer. Like, awesome. I can go about my life now because I know. Um, I know what happens and I know my will is weakened. Okay. Uh, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to the town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. But it was not. For the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time I returned to the hospital, this was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would end that it would end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum, um, which is just the 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 psych ward. Like she's she's thinking that she has to, you know, let him go and be locked up because he just can't. He's so sick. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. Yeah, I tried that too, uh, being locked up, having all my car keys, phone, computer, all that taken away, being locked up in a house. I tried that too. They did not need to tell me I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself, 
and my abilities of my capacity to surmount obstacles was cornered at last. Um, okay, so he, I'm going to stop right here. And he's realizing, like, he cannot do this himself. Like, I, who had thought so well of myself, was cornered. So that war within himself with his alcoholism and his real true nature of, you know, being a recovered alcoholic and helping others is like, he doesn't even know what is happening to him. And he's, his ego is getting that, that blow. And I love that. Okay. So Sarah. Hello. How's everybody doing? Natalie, that was awesome. You did such a great job. That was so awesome. Um, we're getting ready to shift at this point in the book. We're getting ready to shift from uh, Bill talking about step one and what that looks like to uh, step two and then, you know, kind of the steps. So that's sort of that's sort of where we where this is going to turn. And this is how uh, William Silkworth at the end of the doctor's opinion, XXXII asks us to look at this information in Bill's story, but the first 164 pages, this is what, this is what the doc uh, uh, says. He says, I, I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. And though perhaps he became to scoff, he may remain to pray. So I think um, that kind of describes how I tried to read those first eight pages. Like, mm. I'm not a stockbroker. I'm not this. I'm not that. Like that scoff idea was definitely my comfortable place. But then when I thought about what Dr. Silkworth said and I backed up, I discovered just like Natalie just explained so beautifully that the details are different, but all this junk bill went through. That's me. I host up things with my personal relationships. I tried to move to get away from the drinking. I thought everything else but the drinking was the problem. I needed that drink like oxygen or, I mean, it fixed things. Drinking makes you smart. It made me a better writer. It made me, I thought, whatever. So if I know that I'm like Bill at this point by page eight, what in the world am I going to do about it? So it says, uh, now I was to plunge into the dark joining that endless procession of sots who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife, like me. I thought of my poor daughter, my poor dad, my poor mom. There had been much happiness after all. Uh, what I would not give to make amends, but that was over now. Like this is the real hopelessness of act of alcoholism. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. I am powerless. Uh, Alcohol seems to have all the power in my life. Um, I'm unmanageable. I, I, I can't manage anything. Alcohol seems to be managing and calling all the shots. That, that's what I felt like. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. 
And on Armistice Day, 1934, I was off again. So this, uh, um, this fear sobered me for a bit is, I mean, I should have it like on a throw pillow on my couch. I could get scared enough to stay sober for a couple of days or a couple of hours or whatever. But fear was never, I needed a suitable substitute. Fear was never enough to sober me up for the long haul. I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be uh, um, catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way in a, in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. When the alcoholic asks us, uh, "I hate the way I'm living. Have you got a suitable substitute, though? Because I need drinking." This is the suitable. This is the description of the suitable substitute. This is what I desperately wanted, so I agreed to do what my sponsor told me to do. I wanted a little bit of happiness. I didn't have big dreams, just a little. I wanted five minutes of peace, and I just didn't want to be useless anymore. I just wanted to be a just used like I had really low standards. But here's the thing: drinking was the great persuader. Millions of people told me this. Doctors, bosses, family members. Alcohol persuaded me that this was my reality. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected that there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if uh, he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember coming to New York in that condition, his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed to uh, committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course he would have dinner. And then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. Uh, The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened and he stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. Uh, There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's this all about, I queried. He looked straight at me. Simply but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. So this is uh, this is kind of our clue about uh, the what the solution is. Uh, it's explained later in the book that it's not technically religion; it's a higher power, uh, and the spiritual aspect of it is is wide open for you to find what you need. But at the crux of it, all of my attempts at a solution to the drinking problem were self driven, self driven, human power driven. 
this is different. This is really different. This is big power driven. Um, so this is something I had actually never tried before. I was, uh, although I thought I did because I tried church, um, I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right, but bless his heart. Uh, what I learned living in the South is that bless his heart is not a compliment. Um, but let him rant. <clears throat> Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That's the 12 steps. That's the actions we take, the work we do. When they say, you know, go to AA, get a book, get a sponsor, get to work, that's the work. Uh, that was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. That fear can sober me for a bit is, is long enough to get me through the steps so I can plug into a power that can fix it. Um, he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it I was shocked but interested certainly I was interested I had to be for I was hopeless he talked for hours childhood memories rose before me I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside there was that profound uh, that proffered temperance a uh, pledge I never signed, my grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings, his insistence that uh, spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen, his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up, in, uh, welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really were, for that means blind faith in the strange prop proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists suggested that vast laws and forces at work. <clears throat> Despite uh, contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation. But that was as far as I had gone. And I, and I think this is really true for myself. Like maybe there's God, maybe there's not, maybe uh, the higher power's done with me. All, all that I'm being asked uh, uh, in step two is consider this. It's like, um, like Ebby here talking to Bill. He's not, you know, preaching at him or, or pounding the table. He's, he's just asking him to consider it. You know, can I lay aside some prejudice uh, can I spend, suspend my disbelief and just say maybe? With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. They talked of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength and direction. I became irritated and my mind snapped shut 
against such a theory. In Christ, I conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him. His moral teaching, most excellent for myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult, the rest I disregarded. So no matter uh, what faith or spiritual program or religion is out there, it's usually got some core stuff, right? Uh, Tell the truth, don't cheat, don't kill people, don't hurt people. Like these spiritual principles, they're pretty much the same in, in anything. But what I always did in my drunkenness is I'll tell you the truth. When it's convenient or it helps me get my way, but I'm totally going to lie if I think I can get some advantage out of it. So I disregard the spiritual principle when it doesn't serve my selfishness, but I absolutely, you know, want to point out to everybody how I'm observing the spiritual principle when it's not too difficult and it's real convenient for me. So I was kind of shady, just like Bill. The wars which had been fought, the burnings and uh, chicanery that religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. I honestly doubted whether, on balance, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in humans' affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man, a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed the boss universal, and he certainly had me. But my friend sat before me and he made the point blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself, relieved his alcoholism. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to the to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that, at that minute. And this was none at all. By the time I got sober, all the power in me, I was tapped out. It was depleted. I couldn't summer some uh, uh, summon the power of love for my child to not drink just for today. I couldn't summer, uh, 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 summon the power of the threats from work. I couldn't summon the power of the fear to not do it. I was tapped out. This was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. There was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. And so this guy Stanley came and got me when I was like drunk and dying in my house. And and this lady named Kelly, she became my sponsor. He talks about this something or another in Ebby's eyes They both had that. Whatever it was in their eyes that they didn't need to drink, whatever it was that lit them up, I had no clue and I didn't need to. I just knew I want it. I want that. Whatever I got to do, it doesn't matter. This seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. I can't, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just going to do it. 
not just the convenient parts, not just the um, easy parts, the difficult parts, all of it. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. So the second step is asking us to lay aside prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. Me personally, I downright hated it. I called God the big guy for like years. The word God, when the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a sar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. Probably half of us, half of alcoholics, when we sober up, uh, were in that class. The other half are like, you know, down with the God idea, no big whoop. Either way, you're good to go. My friend suggested that uh, what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe. I don't have to do anything, just be willing, willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. The um, uh, the belief comes from working the steps. The belief comes from helping people in step twelve, the spiritual awakening. But it, but this early in the program, I don't really have to do squat. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course, I would. Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. As uh, at long last I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. So alcohol uh, humiliated me, uh, beat down that pride in me, and, uh, um, and it kicked all those prejudices Uh, out from underneath me. So at that point, spirit of the universe, idea, God, idea, sure, whatever, whatever you got, I'll just do it. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. And for more and needed and wanted God, the description of that is on page 180 in uh, Dr. Bob's story and his perspective on it. I like to read them both together. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me and he came, but soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, uh, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since how blind I had been. So Dr. Bob says this, like uh, we can, uh, we can work the program. We can work these steps. We can uh, get connected to God if we want it and need it badly. And when I read that in Dr. Bob's story, I was like, that is me. That is me. That is me drunk on the floor, hugging the toilet. I want it. I need it. I have no idea what it is. It's just whatever it is. It ain't this. 
this sucks. I want it, something, not this. And then uh, Bill Wilson says, uh, says, I had needed and wanted God. I didn't even know the it that I needed and wanted was this hole inside me that only God could fill. I had no clue what it is. I just knew it was missing from my chest, from my stomach, from my mind, from my life. Like whatever was in here that I kept pouring beer on top of, it, it was empty. And the pain of that hollowness, it was killing me. Turns out, give the steps a shot and God will fill it. Um, and all I have to do is pages one through 164. That's freakishly interesting to me uh, and amazing. And that's why they call it a miracle. Um, <clears throat> at the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last, from the last time treatment seemed wise. So I showed signs of delirium tremens. Uh, del uh, the DTs are real. I didn't know that I was real ignorant about alcoholism. Uh, and it can give you a heart, act, a heart attack or a stroke. So if you need uh, medical help to detox, do that. If you need social help to detox, do that. Uh, uh, detoxing alone uh, can kill you. There I humbly offered myself to God. This is step three. As I then understood him to do with me as he would, I placed myself unreservedly under his care, step three says, you know, uh, making it without reservation. Uh, under his care and direction, I admitted for the first time that of myself, I was nothing. That without him, I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my new found friend take them away, root and branch. Steps four and five. I have not had a drink since. My schoolmate visited me and I, and I fully, here's step five, my schoolmate visited me, Ebby was his sponsor, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. There's, I found uh, never was I to be critical of them in the big book at least 13 other times. And I'm such a critical person of myself and others. So uh, we're not even 13 pages in the book here. And it's always, uh, and it's already telling, uh, telling me, Sarah Jean, you criticize too much, girl. I was right. <clears throat> I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. And a clue of how to do this is in uh, steps six and seven. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. So six and seven, asking God for the strength and the willingness uh, to do the right thing, do what God would have me do. Like big guy, you're the boss, you're the employer, tell me what to do. Never was I to pray for myself except as my requests bore on my usefulness to others. Uh, so it's not, oh, God, I'd like to win the lottery because that would be really useful to others because I would buy him stuff. No, it doesn't mean that. It means, God, help me. I don't want to lie anymore. Because when people repeat my lies, it screws up what they're doing. So, um God, remove my defects of character 
so that I can help other people, not like give me cool stuff so that I can be a fancy show off. Uh, I struggle with that concept for a lot of time. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. So I have to do the kind of giving that expects nothing in return because I'm only going to receive these promises after I've done this work. So it's not transactional. It's not about me doing the steps so I can get good stuff. It's about me doing the steps because it's the right thing to do and I want to get closer to God. Then God promises me when I get close to him, he will take care of everything I need. I'm not going to get everything I want. Who should? That's spoiled. Nobody likes spoiled people. But it would be in great measure. I not only, God, uh, this program not only gave me everything I needed, it gave me a ton of stuff I wanted also. My friend promised that when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship. That's the goal. That's the point. A new relationship with my creator, the it that needs to get filled so I don't have to drink. That I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. It's not just about the drink, although it starts and ends with that. It starts with me knowing I'm an alcoholic and work on the steps. And it ends with me understanding how to get to sober and free and trying to help the the next lady. So the alcohol is the problem that this starts and ends with. But this program in 1 through 12 will answer all my problems. Since I got sober, I haven't been hungry, I haven't been homeless, and I've always had a pair of shoes on my feet. Like, that's awesome. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things. What am I doing for time? Okay, cool. Uh, were the essential requirements simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the father of light who presides over us all. These were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. For a moment, I was alarmed and called my friend, the doctor, uh, to ask if I were still sane. He listened in wonder as I talked. Finally, he shook his head saying, something has happened to you. I don't understand, but you had better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have had such experiences. He knows that they are real. While I lay in the hospital, the thought uh, came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what had been so freely given to me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. Step 12. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly, was it imperative work with others as he had worked with me? Faith without works was dead. He said, how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead. Indeed, with us, it is just like that. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems. 
He was fortunate for my old business associates, remained skeptical for a year and a, and a half during which I found little work. It was not too, <clears throat> I was not too well at the time. and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another, with another alcoholic would save the day. Double stars on that one. Many times I have gone to my old hospital in despair on talking to a man there. I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. This is a design for living that works in rough going. <clears throat> we had commenced to make many fast friends and a fellowship had grown up among us of which uh, it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. The joy of living we really had even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set on the, uh, set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere. I've seen the most impossible domestic situations raided, feuds and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I have seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in the lives of their families and communities. Business and professional men have regained their standing. There is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. In one Western city and in its environs, there are 1,000 of us in our families. We meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek. At these informal gatherings, one of them may often see from 50 to 200 persons. We are growing in numbers and power. That's the power of God. An alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. There is, however, promise a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and levity. But just underneath, there is a deadly earnestness. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. Most of us feel we need look no further for utopia. We have it right. Uh, we have it with us right here and now. Every day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Bill W., co-founder of AA, died January 24th, 1971. Uh, Thank you for listening for to listening, the guys. Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Oh, wow. Where did everybody go? Oh. Um, okay, cool. Uh, let's close. Um, thanks for coming to this meeting. Um, we meet Sunday at 10, Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30, Wednesday at 7.30. Um, you can listen to our Big Book Workshop recordings where we listen to podcasts. You can find the recordings and other resources at our website. We need chairs and readers for these meetings. You can sign up um, at the link. Um, I think you guys all have the links, so I'm not going to post the links. So let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, oh, I'm going to look it up so I don't mess it up this time, like I normally do. Uh, sorry. Okay. Uh, who keeps us sober? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Work the steps. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Catherine. That was awesome. Hi, Kathy. You're you're on uh, you're still on mute. Uh, oh, there you are. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello. Well, thank you guys for showing up today. Um, Thanks, Sarah. You were awesome. Oh, thank you. You did an amazing job. I just really enjoyed listening to you a lot. Thank you. I really enjoyed listening to you too. Cuckoo. Yeah. I'll see y'all uh, later, Kat. Um, thank you for keeping all of this going. And, you know, we yeah. can only just keep on telling people about us so they'll um, show up. Yeah. I haven't noticed a problem with anything, so I'm not... Like, I, I haven't noticed an issue with attendance myself. Yeah. A great, yeah, great yeah. number. Um, either on Sunday, today was a little light, but usually there's a pretty good number of people. And um, when I popped on on weeknights, it's been a good 10 people ish. So um, well, I, I, I just feel like it's always the same people cheering. And I'm like, that's, you know, oh, we yeah. do more people cheering. Um, and I'd like to see more people with. Um, some more experience and knowledge too on the group too so that uh, you know it's we need a mix of people with you know a year or less and more okay cool all right ladies well I'm in Taos New Mexico and although skiing doesn't start until the 9th I am going to walk up the mountain and see uh, see how much work it is for my tired little legs. So I will see you guys later. Will you call me? I want to talk to you. Yes. Yes, I will. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.